Hi friends, this is Connie Alpers and I want to welcome you back to Equipped to Be, where I get to help you embrace and navigate the seasons of life so you can reach your personal family and parenting goals. We at Equipped to Be want you to understand how God has given you unique gifts, strengths, and talents so that you can live in all seasons with confidence and joy. Whether you're cooking dinner, holding laundry, or maybe just enjoying some time alone. I hope you enjoy this episode of Equipped to Be. Welcome to the Equipped to Be show. I'm your host, Connie Albers, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. Have you ever had someone come alongside you that you really didn't know, but it was just the right time with maybe just the right information and knowledge that helped you take another step further? Well, the guest on the program today is just that kind of person for me. And his name is Larry Loftus. He is the New York Times and international best-selling author of the nonfiction spy thrillers, Codename Lease, Into the Lion's Mouth, and his new release is The Princess Spy. Now, it is now out, and when it when it came out in February, it was an instant New York Times bestseller. His books have been translated into multiple languages around the world, including Dutch, Portuguese, Chinese, Czech, Serbian. It's quite an amazing accomplishment. Prior to becoming a full-time writer, Mr. Loftus was a corporate attorney, publishing scholarly legal articles in the University of Florida Law Review, the Suffolk Transitional Law Journal, Georgia Journal of International and Comparative Law, the Florida Bar Journal, the National Law Journal, and Florida Banking. These are all very difficult to have your work published in, and yet his work was published in all of those uh, different journals and reviews. That's quite an accomplishment and a great success. He has also served as a teaching fellow at the University of Florida Law School, where he taught writing and appellate advocacy. When I met Larry, I didn't know anything about his his successes, his accomplishments. I didn't know that he was an attorney. I just asked a friend, do you know someone who uh, is writing a book or has written a book that could kind of help me navigate the journey? And Thanks to the generosity of this person, he did connect me and introduce me to Larry. And ever since then, I have admired the accomplishments and the successes that he has had. And I find that to be something that happens in the writing world. So it is my honor that I am able to invite Larry Loftus on the program today. Hey, Larry, thanks for coming on the program today. I feel giddy. I feel like I'm all excited. It's like Larry's finally on the program. (laughs) <laughs> Long time coming. Thanks for having me on, Connie. Thanks for having me. You know, your latest book released on February 9th in 2021, and it that's The Spy Princess. Uh, my husband and I, Tom and I, were able to come to that book signing, book launch party. And, you know, there's something about watching your journey that gives me inspiration and excitement for being an author. But I was reading about you And on the bio, not your bio, but this one bio that I was looking at, which you're humble, you didn't, you kind of failed to say that, which you're a very humble person, and that it was an instant 
New York Times bestseller. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable. It hits the shelves and it's an instant bestseller. How did you like feel when that happened? Oh, thrilled, of course, but it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a process. You know, that was many years in coming. But, you know, you hope for the best. And then one at late afternoon on a Wednesday, you get a call from your agent. He says, is this Larry Loftus, the New York Times bestselling author? And of course, you're like, OK, you know, you hit the list. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 great. It's just it's so hard to hit that list because there's only 15 spots and you're competing against people that are there every week. So there's only, you know, people like, you know, in the fiction side, John Grisham and J.K. Rowling and all those people um, Michael Conley and, and Stephen King. And on the nonfiction side, you got Bill O'Reilly and you got all the politicians and, and all those people. So as well as the, 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 the political books. So there's only usually about three spots that are really available on that list in, on any given week. So to hit it is, you know, you're just, you're just tickled pink. When this was happening and you were telling me these stats, I, I had no idea. And I know most authors don't really know what that process is like. If you're a celebrity or you're a politician, or let's just say you you happen to have written the latest trend, fear, whatever is happening in the news, and it lands at just the right time, and you kind of like ride the wave. But what you have done, you've carved yourself a niche that no one paved the way for it. It wasn't that it was Larry Loftus, he's this incredible World War II thriller history writer. You just started writing. I mean, now, it wasn't that you didn't have other works that you had written, but I remember asking you, Larry, like, how did you know you had this knack for writing? And I don't know if you remember what you said. Do you remember what you told me? I would have. I would just have to guess and say it was back when I wrote on to the law review. Yeah, you had said you were writing papers, and somebody said, "Hey, you're you're kind of good at this. I have you ever thought about writing more?" And that was a a somewhat of a turning point in your career because at some point you kind of left your day job, and now this is your day job. I mean, you write and you have more more works coming. Yeah, it was a, it was actually a long process because. I've been a political science major in college, so what you do every every week is you write papers for your classes, and I enjoyed that. And so when I went to law school, they said, "Oh, you got to get on the law review." Well, how do you get on the law review? Well, you have to do this paper. You know, you have to write this paper about this case, and it's very competitive. There's a hundred people trying out, and they're going to take ten. So you try that, and you do that, and I made it on, and they picked four to publish, and mine was one of the four which allowed me to be one of the senior editors right off the bat and then the like the top editor uh, before I left. And so that sort of let me know, you know, I, I, I might I might be able to write here. There might be something. I mean, I was still I'm in law school, so I'm still planning to go to 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 work as a lawyer. But um, by the time I had graduated, I basically already qualified for tenure as a law professor because you need three publications and I already had the University of Florida, University of Georgia, and Suffolk University. So um, that that sort of gave me encouragement just about writing. And so when I was a lawyer, it helps for lawyers to have legal publications. So I published articles for the Florida Bar Journal and the National Law Journal and Florida Banking, kind of boring stuff. I mean, all corporate, you know, only other lawyers and maybe judges are the only people that would read this stuff. 
but it it was good practice and and it helped me to keep honing the craft and in terms of research citation and the actual writing and then years later this was the, like the second bridge years later I'd been practicing law in this particular area and out of the blue I get this phone call from another lawyer that says hey I've got a friend of mine who is at uh, this other pub, this publisher, and she's looking for a book, somebody to do a book on the topic that I think you're an expert in. Uh, it was a legal topic that I've been doing some work in on on tax lien investing and tax lien, how, how the whole process worked. And I said, sure, I'll you know I'll call her. So I called her, and she said, we want you to do this book. And I'm like, okay. And well, it turns out the book was their bestseller for the year, and and so they were all excited. For all genres. So she said, hey, you got to do another one. And I said, about what? And she said, about anything. Just do another book. So I said, okay, well, let me think. And so I did kind of a another book on investing in small properties, and that was a bestseller for them. So they said, do another one. So I did a third one. And then the real estate crash, financial crash that hit in 08, 09, that was right when it came out. So that, that book was kind of stillborn, and that was the end of that was the end of writing in that genre. So then I took a little sabbatical and just kind of, you know, I did some thinking and I thought, you know, I really do like to write and I've had some success in it. I mean, I've, I've got all these articles and I've got three of these books that did well. Why don't I kind of think about what else I can do? I've got to find another genre because the, the real estate uh, genre is closed. I mean, there was like no books on the, on the Barnes and Noble shelf that had to do with real estate. It was a combination of Steve Price, as you, who, whom you know, gave me the audio uh, book for a Vince Flynn novel. And I wasn't familiar with Vince Flynn, but he's a thriller writer. Very, He passed away a few years ago, but very good. And so I just loved it, loved the thriller action of this. Uh, it was like a military fiction type of book. Um, and then I remembered that, hey, you know, there's there's my friend, a guy that I went to college with, who was one of my fraternity brothers, who was way ahead of this game than 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 at the position where I'm at at this time. And his name's Michael Connolly. And everybody knows, well, gosh, that's the you know, Michael Connolly, like the founder of, of Bosch and the TV show and the movies and the Lincoln Lawyer and so he's extremely, extremely successful. But for me, he was just Mike. I mean, he was just a guy, in my fraternity that lived in our in our fraternity house in room 17. And so I I wasn't in touch with Mike, but I knew, I mean, I, his books are everywhere. I mean, you can go into any bookstore in the country uh, and find his books. And Bosch has been a TV hit series for about seven years now. And he had several movies before that on his books. So I just thought, you know, Mike, and I knew Mike from college. He's a regular guy. I mean, yes, he 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 found his niche early. He found out that he wanted to do crime fiction early, and he worked on it. But, you know, he's just a regular guy. So I wasn't intimidated by the thought of, can I make it into this field? Because I'd already had some success as a lawyer writing articles, and then those three books and then I'm thinking about Mike, who's just a regular guy, and he made it. So then I thought, okay, now I have to find a genre. And because I was a political science major, I was inter interested in international relations. And uh, just I, I love World War II stuff. And I grew up with James Bond, you know, Sean Connery and all the Bond movies. So then that led me to think, well, hey, why don't I do a, a book about, uh, you know, a spy book? And then it was just a matter of whether it was going to be fiction or nonfiction. So I did research. I started 
started probing greatest spy ever, most accomplished spy, most important spy, and kind of all roads led to this this guy named Dusko Popov, who I wrote my first book about. And um, and and I was wondering it at the beginning whether to make it historical fiction. And my agent at the time said, no, 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 this is so much great stuff here. Just do straight nonfiction, narrative nonfiction. And and there's so much here. This will read like a novel and it'll read like a thriller. So that was the first book, Into the Lion's Mouth, um, which became an international bestseller. I was I was pleased to, to find out. Um, and then that, you know, that that gets you in the door. You know, that's the first book. It gets you in the door. And then you have some credibility. So then it's a matter of, OK, where where what who do I do the next book about? And then, you know, with what publisher? So that led me to do the next book about uh, Odette Sanson, who was an SOE agent in France during World War II, codenamed Lise, is that book. And then the book that I just uh, brought out on in February, The Princess Spy, about an agent, an OSS agent operating in Spain. So that was the that was the process. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I was sitting here as you're speaking. I'm writing down all these notes because I want to come back to a few things. But I also want to comment on the fact that you looked at these two women, especially in the, the last two books, and you focused on these women and you told their stories. Uh, one codename Lee's was a spy. And I, I don't want to give too much of away, but it's a riveting story about a real life woman who lived an incredible life and you bring her character to a place that hasn't really been explored like that. And you also did the same thing with The Princess Spy. Uh, I know Tom was reading it, and after we got your book from the book signing that night, he just was reading it every single night. And he he was just drawn in by the way that you wrote the book, the way you told the stories. And and I think that's pretty interesting for you to, to have picked those ladies and uh, the way that you just you do so much research and the way you, you, you know, you've just perfected and honed your craft, which is what I want to go back to. I was writing notes and, and I want all of you listeners, if, if you missed, because I know uh, what Larry was talking about, you're sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I want you to hear some specific things. Larry started off talking about basically knowing what the odds are. Like, you know, what are the odds of getting to becoming a New York Times bestseller? What, how narrow that path really, really is. He knew that kind of going into it because he had done his his homework. He had done some research about that. The other thing is that he honed his craft. He had done it years earlier in, you know, like he said, boring stuff, stuff that judges and lawyers want to know about, important things. But he was practicing all this time, not really knowing where exactly it was going to lead, but he was faithful to do the next step. If whatever you're considering, whatever you're pondering right now, and you're thinking about, well, how do I get to Z? How do I get to be number one? How do I get to whatever that goal is? There's steps. And Larry, just in a matter-of-fact way, just said, well, these, these were some steps. I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this. And it took years. I remember it was Steven Spielberg. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, Larry, but Steven Spielberg one time was on the Oprah Winfrey show, and she asked him, it was either George Lucas or Steven Spielberg, but I think it was Spielberg, and she's like, basically, how did you know that you were going to like be this successful? And he said, well, I, I honed my skill. I, I practiced my craft over and over and over, and I prepared myself 
for that moment when the opportunity came, I was able to step into that. And in a way, Larry, I kind of hear you saying that. Would you, you know, is that, would you agree with that? Oh, of course. I mean, that's, if you don't, if you don't learn the craft, you have no business being in the, in, in, in the writing business or in any business. I mean, whatever your business is, you have to learn the craft. And I kind of have a personal motto that applies to, for me to life. And I think it's just a general thing to remember, whatever our endeavor is. And, And it's three words, commitment to excellence. If you're committed to excellence, you know, for me as a writer, that means first I have to start with the research. I, my research has to be excellent. And so my standard for that is the is the highest possible standard that I can think of, which back years ago when I went to seminary, I was thinking about going to Oxford for a Ph.D. after seminary and, and eventually decided not to. But I, I had gone very deep in the process, had done a year's worth of research on my basically on my dissertation topic. Um, and and one of my professors, the guy that really wanted me to go to Oxford, had was an Oxford PhD himself. And so he said, here's the process. If you go to Oxford for to get a PhD, your dissertation topic, um, when it's time for you to to graduate, they're going to bring you before basically a commission. Uh, a, a panel, and it's going to be three people, and it's going to be the three. They will fly in the three biggest experts on that topic in the world, regardless of where they're from. One's guy from Stanford. One's guy. One guy's from Berlin. One guy's doesn't matter. They will fly in the three top people. Those people will, will read your dissertation, and then they'll grill you. They'll grill you on your research. They'll grill you if you made any errors. They'll they'll ask if you read such and such article, which came out thirty years ago in French. You know, <laughs> and he said, and if your answer is ever, oh, I didn't know about that. I didn't know I haven't. Then you fail. Mm. So you have. So the standard is you have to be the best expert on that topic in the world. And so that's the standard that I apply to my work in, in doing what I do, which is nonfiction thrillers. So on the on the people, Dusko Popov, Odette Samson, Eileen Griffith, I, I am the top expert on that person, what they did, particularly during the war. I mean, I focus on the warriors. You got to cover their, you know, their whole life. But the main focus is what they did during the war. So, and that means, you know, that, that then I go back to my my legal training and my law review training, which is the citation part, so that every quote is a direct word for word quote from a primary source, whether it's the person or it's from the um, archives, the National Archives, in a in a report that was filed. So uh, when you look in my books, Popoff's book had 75 pages of endnotes. Uh, Princess Spy had 60 pages of endnotes. End of the Lion's Mouth had had 17 pages of bibliography. Princess Spy had, uh, I think it was 10. But that's that's for me. That's the Oxford PhD standard. That's if you want to, what what? Uh, in fact, the last director of Los Alamos had written me a, a out of the blue, had written me an email after In the Lion's Mouth came out, and he said that it was a scholarly thriller. And, and I was so pleased to hear that because that was my goal, to, to, to have a work of scholarship just as deep, just as good as any law review article that I'd ever written um, with citations where people could go and, and find the exact quote. Because you have to have the place where they go, the book that they pull, and the page number. So if you look on any of my books, you'll see there'll be a reference to the National Archives, either the U.S. or the U.K., 
and it'll give you a full citation. It'll say, you know, box number so-and-so, shell 15, uh, file number two, page 28. And so that's what you have to do. Like if you're going to go to the National Archives or, or call them and say, hey, I want this document, you would give them exactly what you see in the citation that I gave, and you could read it for yourself. And I remember uh, you were saying uh, when you went to the National Archives and you were doing this research, you have to go in and they don't they don't allow you to carry stuff in. And yet you're trying to be so meticulous and and correct. Tell everybody what you had to go through just to be able to get the citations and the research that you needed in such restrictive format as as you had to go through in researching this Princess Bride. Yeah. In fact, so there's two places where I dig and 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 one is the UK archives at Q. That that's I needed that one for the pop-off book. And then um uh, and, and actually for Odette's book as well. But then the Princess Spice, she was American. So that's the U.S. archives and, and College Park, Maryland, uh, National Archives number two is what it's called. And it's it's like it's it's got more security than Fort Knox. I mean, you, you have to go through security three times, three times you have to go through different security checks. One is the first one's just like the airport where you walk through and put your put your bag or whatever on the conveyor belt and then mm-hmm. it goes through and they check that and then there's a locker room so if you want to put your you so you have to put your your book bag in there because you can't take anything into the actual archive room which is upstairs mm-hmm. um, and so the only thing they will let you take in are um, either a scanner or a camera that's it. So you can't take in a piece of paper, you can't take in a pen, you can't take in anything else. They will provide scraps of paper for you, they will provide pencils for you. That's it. So you can you can and if you take in I'm trying to think if they allowed me to take in my computer. I think they allowed me to take in my computer, but they have to check it. They have to check it. They make you turn it on in both checkpoints. There's a checkpoint at the bottom and a checkpoint at the top. You have to do it twice. So I just um, found that so fascinating. I mean, that's the level of commitment when you're talking about a commitment to excellence. That is that is the level that you go to to do these research, the stories that you're getting ready to to write and tell about their lives. I mean, you really know all about these people, hence you're the expert on them. But I want to go back to something I found rather fascinating. You had talked about you had the real estate bust came in 08, and that was the end of that particular season. So I often talk about disruption, and I know my listeners, you're, you're used to me talking about um, disruption always leads to innovation. And you were talking about you just took some time and you needed to think about it and pray about, hey, what am I going to do next? That is a great example of all right, I was doing something. It was going well. I was excellent in it. I was a best-selling author in this area. That is no longer an area that I can continue to pursue. So what's next? So this disruption that was hurting a lot of people became an opportunity for you to pivot. And I always say there's freedom in the pivot, but most people are so afraid to pivot. And And that when you thought about the people in your sphere, and you wrote and you mentioned Michael, is it Connolly, correct? Yeah. So you mentioned Michael Connolly, and you said he's a regular person. He's he's a guy. He's in he was in my fraternity house. I mean, we just right down the hall, and I didn't think of him as somebody celebrity. And so, Larry, in comes my story, 
Friends, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation that I've had with New York Times bestselling author Larry Loftus. I mean, he is such an accomplished writer. Our conversation was going so well that I decided this needed to be a two-part series. So this is going to wrap up part one of my conversation with Larry, and I would love for you to come back next week as we talk more in-depth, and I kind of pick up with the rest of the story of where I entered the picture as Larry was helping me with my own book, Parenting Beyond the Rules. So join us next week for international best-selling author, Larry Loftus. I know you'll enjoy part two. Well, that wraps up this episode of Equipped to Be. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend or family member and hit subscribe so you don't miss a show. And thank you again for joining me. Remember that we are equipped for every season of life.